man, you better have that product market fit down because if you don't have that, you can throw as many, you can spend as much as you want on it. It's not going to work. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew. And there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. Our guest today has an affinity for horsepower, whether that be tracking a race car, showing a steed, or just plain growing a company. Coming from a rather large family growing up to leading university classrooms and ultimately starting and running a tech company, he has garnered some incredibly transferable lessons in managing through both harmony and discord. In today's conversation, we'll do a deep dive into his journey from academic to entrepreneur and everything in between and how his current sales tech company and best-selling book were birthed from all the dirt in between. CEO and founder of Finlistics, Stephen Timmy, welcome to The Dirt. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. And you know, you're talking about tracking the cards. We have a saying that it's, uh, it's not the high speeds that hurt you, it's the sudden stops. Oh, that's great. I love I it. I think that applies it. to business. <laughs> I love it. So um, when... You know, I obviously gave my short version, you know, surface level of who is Stephen Timmy, but, you know, can you share with the audience just a deeper background of, you know, who you are and where you came from? Sure. Yeah. So, so my, my background is um, I was a professor of finance at several universities here in Atlanta where I live and I love finance. I think it's a, it can help change the world. And I was very, very fortunate to be able to work for a lot of companies while I was at the university because my when Jim, I took the university position being a professor, I decided I was not going to take a vow of poverty. So uh, I like money. So I was very, very fortunate to work for quite a few manufacturing, the biggest retail company in the world. And by pure luck, I was doing this open enrollment webinar. Uh, and this guy from this technology company comes up and says, software company says, have you ever applied all this stuff to sales? Because I, I would work with these companies said, you know, if you could improve operations. Here's what the benefit would be if you could get product to market faster. And I really had this epiphany. Well, if these are how these companies run themselves internally, right? And these enterprise sellers are selling to them. Why shouldn't they be taking the same approach? So that, that's when we really, I said, okay, here's, here's this much bigger market than teaching people in operations. And so I really became very passionate about helping enterprise sellers say, here's a real value of our solutions versus, you know, feature function stuff. So that that's in a kind of the business part. Uh, as you said, I, I like cars. I'm on several boards of charities uh, for fragile children, which I absolutely love doing. So uh, my wife and I love to travel a lot, but that's we awesome. used to, <laughs> we're just waiting for the thing to open up again. Yeah. It's getting there little by little though. We're, yeah. uh, we're finally opening up. <laughs> well, maybe here in Florida, a little more so than most places, but <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, you talked a little bit about the impetus in moving from academia to, um, you know, ultimately starting a company and doing some consulting in between. What Was there any specific thing you can point to that was was like the, the driving force behind that? Uh, I, a, a big, big part of it was it, it dawned on me that, you know, this can really make a difference, because if you if you look at a lot of folks, when you say the word finance, 
you know, they start breaking out in hives and, you know, they start, if you give them a choice between learning some finance or shoving bamboo shoots up their fingernails, they grab the bamboo <laughs> shoots every time. So really the impetus was having worked with some companies and then working with some of the sellers, people saying, Hey, this really worked. This really, this is changing my life and not just sales. Right. Uh, but kind of an interesting story. I was working with this uh, one company and, and we were doing some work with the operations folks. We'd have them like one summer, the next summer, the next summer. And this one young lady came up to me and said, you know, I followed your advice on the investments and this and that. I've been promoted. And she goes, we, we've saved up enough to adopt a child. So it just, you know, those are the kind of things, seeing the impact it had on people's lives, not just being successful. I mean, I can give all kinds of examples of that, but even their own personal life. So yeah, I found very passionate about it and wanted to go do more of it. Yeah, that uh, that whole issue of financial literacy is a major problem. <laughs> yeah, like big time. <laughs> kids, adults, I mean, across across the board, right? Um, yeah. Any any particular things that you can point to into how that translates into enterprise selling engagements? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is is that these executive buyers buy your solutions primarily for one reason, and that's how are you going to help me financially? It's, there's only three buckets, right? Help me with profitable growth, help me better manage my expenses, and you know more and more nowadays it's helped me mitigate risk. So, you know, one of the first things is understand what are they trying to get done. It's not what you're trying to get done. You're asking them to spend their money. So, what are their goals and strategies? But then, how are they uh, performing financially? And Jim, in the book, we talk about a number of executives that we talk to. So, listen, if I'm publicly traded, they need to know what I'm doing. Not not be an MBA in finance, not be smarter than our CFO. So. You need to know, like, well, okay, so Jim's profit margins are dropping. You know, what can you do to help him? And how does that explain the goal that he's trying to improve profitability? And then ultimately, uh, you know, t- tell how you can do this, help them, and then ultimately how much? Because otherwise, why would I? Why would I listen to you? I mean, I'm sure, you know, like different agencies that you've worked with, right? Or when we engage with you all, you know, it's okay, Jim. Love you guys to death. How much are you going to help me, right? Yeah. Financially, so it, you just really need to have that that financial mindset because that is the language of business. Doesn't matter what line of business you're in. Yeah, and you mentioned that that book, right? Um, that you and and your colleague Melody Astley have written together. Mm-hmm. Um, bestseller, I think. By the way, thank right? you. Uh, yeah, we're happy. <laughs> so, in, inside lead selling, I believe, is the title, right? It is. Yep, on is, Amazon. Is, is that any any certain um, you know rationale behind what motivated you to write it? Yeah, it's really really good because I've talked about writing a book for a million years, and and you know as we work more and more with these enterprise sellers, people say, "God, we love the workshop and we love your tools." Do you have anything that kind of pulls all this together, right? Because you you, know, you go to a workshop or webinar, you retain about twenty percent of it twenty minutes later. So uh, Melody and I talked about this for a number of years. And so at the beginning of 2020, I said, Melody, we're going to write this book this year. Or I never, ever want to talk about it. She's like, yeah, I never want to talk. Well, COVID hits. And, you know, we said, hey, let's turn something that's really bad into something that's really good. So we really focused on 2020, getting the book written. We had uh, Scribe Media help us. So if you're trying to think about writing a book, please, please, please reach out to our friends at Scribe Media. So it really gave, we really were traveling less. And so it said, okay, let's get it done. We've got all this information already. A lot of it was not made from scratch. We already had it from, I mean, I've been doing this, gosh, turned out 30 years wow. <laughs> uh, just last week. 
So it was a good time to, to do it. And we wanted to help our friends in sales because we're, you know, Melly and I, everyone reads the stat statistics, you know, uh, 80% of buyers think that people don't understand their business, 50% or 60% of people don't make quotas. There are all these sad statistics. And Melly and I are like, you know, they're our friends. And, and we think we have not the answer, but we got part of the answer. So let's get it done. Yeah, I mean those those stats that you rattle off are are unreal and so true, right? They're sad, uh, both unreal and real. And um, you know, I read something in uh, from PwC the other day that that to me kind of put that in perspective, just in general at the human level, which is that around twenty four percent, so less than one in four of millennials in particular understand basic financial topics, which floored me, just floored me. So, you know, as, as you starting to see millennials take over some of these sales leadership positions and, and run sales teams, yeah. how do you see that need for what Finlistic does, Finlistics does evolving? Yeah, well, it has to mean, because we traditionally, the end user of our product, and I hate that term user, but anyway, <laughs> uh, is frontline sales, right? And value engineers and some deal teams, but it, it is incumbent upon sales enablement and sales leaders to say, look, this terrifies you. Let us help you create programs that take away some of the terror. And for sales leaders, I, I do this all the time. I, Jim, I don't know if you're a soccer person, but you know, here are the penalty cards. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing these webinars with sales leaders and sales enablement, I'm always, I'm always giving them a warning. So I'm like, I'm not throwing you out, but I'm giving you a warning. You need to stand up to the plate and create programs that help people you know, get rid of this fear. And you sales leaders, you need to be, you know, constant nourishment, you know, the QBRs, all, how are they doing financially? How can we help them financially? So, you know, from our perspective, we're seeing more and more that sales leaders and sales enablement a lot of time is the decision maker. They're the ones that write the check for us. But what we're focusing more on is like, listen, you, you can't just set the program, and walk away. And you sales leader just can't say, hey, go to this webinar and I'm not going to reinforce it. Not acceptable. Just not acceptable. Yeah. 100 or, or throw it over to L and D and say, Hey, you guys take care of this, right? <laughs> or yeah. some other but, area of the company. But I'll never, I'll never talk about it again. I cannot tell you how many, you know, we can train like thousands and thousands of people in a company. And it's like, well, where's the sales leader? So how do they signed off on what they were learning, but they're not reinforcing it, you know, and their cadence calls, Hey, Jim, you know, how are we helping them expand margin? Hey, Jim, you know, what, what, what did their CFO just talk about on the latest earnings call? So, you know, that's the bad news, but you know, we're here to help and the better companies um, do it. In fact, I just did a webinar and we asked the question, how involved are sales leaders in reinforcing this with frontline sellers? And uh, the one response was very, so 25% said very is something like, 30 or 40% said making progress and the rest were need significant help. So a lot of, lot of, a lot of opportunities out there, not just for us, but for these sales organizations to sell more. Yeah. And I love that. I, I love the, you pulled up a red and a yellow card, right? Just like in soccer. That's I also right. saw you pull up a green card. How does, how does one earn one of those? Uh, there, they, so how they earn one of those is yep. the folks that uh, really do, take a very customer centric perspective, you know, account, they're building their account plan. It's not all about what's up for renewal and here's what we do. And here's what we do. You know, what is the customer wants to so be very, very customer centric. Uh, that gets you a green card. 
being able to articulate how your solutions align with customers' goals. We we ask the questions all the time. What percentage of your sellers know the customer goals? It's usually, I don't know, 40%, 50%. Oh, what percentage can align that, the goals, with your solutions? Now we're down to that 25% again. So the point being is, you know, being able to say, here's what you're trying to get done. Here's how we can help. Oh, by the way, look, there, there's like five different, 10 different uh, stakeholders. We've always called them these two. Let's go over and talk to marketing, which we've never done, or distribution logistics. So expanding, you know, the, the relationships and then showing, showing the benefits. And the other one, Jim, to really get a green card is the whole customer success. Jim, I told you, you know, I thought I could deliver $100 million in bottom line benefits. How often do we go back and look? We don't. Yeah. And, and so it's all about, you know, value realization, not just, you know, the value creation, whatever, you know, proposed creation. So that, that will get you, I get you a green card. Great. Yeah. The whole idea of QBRs or quarterly business reviews has yeah. gone out the window in so many companies with, oh. us, with their customers and their partners. It's, yeah. it's unreal. And I hear you repeat those two words, goals and strategies all the time. And I know that's really where the Finlistic solution starts is, you know, what are your goals and strategies? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I tell people all the time, I'm a finance freak. I love finance, but I tell everyone, I tell people all the time, listen, if you only got an hour yeah. and you got to get ready for that call, find the goals and strategy, read uh, the letter to the shareholders. What are they talking about? I mean, that's what's most important. And the financial piece, it's, it's great and you should do it, but you got limited time. If, if you're not, if you can't talk about my goals and strategies and how you can help, it's going to be a very short meeting. Well, a lot of times founders probably listening are also the number one seller or coming off being the number one seller. So, you know, make sure you're teaching that to your team. It's sometimes these things yeah. we know innately, right, that we've that we've really coached ourselves on as we're starting to build process behind things. Ultimately, you know, we, we lose sight of we need to train and onboard our team in the same way that we learned right. it ourselves. So, you know, that translates all the way down market, not just with enterprise sellers, but with, you know, small oh. growth stage companies too. Yeah, exa exactly. It's all about the cut in an enterprise space. It's all about the customer. And even if it's a B2C thing, it's always about the customer. But I mean, as and we, and we drink our own Kool-Aid, like uh, we were talking to, oh, I can't say the name, but anyway, it's a technology company. And one of their goals was to have double digit growth. And so the conversation was about, hey, Tell me what you're doing. Let me show you how we, we think we can help. Here's how we've helped others. We didn't go into the demo of our tool right away. It was all about, hey, we want to help you get that 15% growth or whatever the number was. So find, find one or two things that your customers are focused on. You have to cover all of them and just use that as a conversation starter. And you're going to be shocked. The, the, the executive you're talking to is probably going to be shocked. Like, I've not had a seller talk to me like this before. Yeah. You're different. You're different. Because you because you're showing how much you care and how much you do your research. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Simple things that make all the difference. Yep. So you know, on that note of of making a difference, um, we kind of breezed past it earlier in the show, but um, you're on the board of several charities, charitable right. organizations that that help medically fragile children. One of which, um, you know, Sunshine on a Rainy Day. Yep. Renovates yep. homes for children with long term illness and special needs and you know what it, i think it's so cool how involved you are in this and and is there anything in particular that led you to be involved with these types of organizations uh i came from a very large catholic family and my parents were always giving i mean that's just how we just brought we we would 
during the summer, there were six of us kids, maybe five at the time, but they would, Jim, they would bring like one or two kids home from the orphanage, Catholic orphanage during the summer. So, I mean, I just learned by example. And then I think I'm very passionate about that. I I think one of the reasons why we're here is to to make the place, make the world a better place. And so for these families, uh, a lot of them have been forgotten. I hate to sound political. They've been forgotten by government or when they turn 18 years old, all that assistance get cut off. So what we we do, uh, sunshine on the rainy day, is renovate homes that make it easier for kids to, you, you know, get into the bathroom. Like here's a 17 year old right that can't walk. He doesn't want his mother give him a bath, right? Yeah. So doing that things like that. And then the other organization is called Camp Trach Me Away. And so these are kids with tracheotomies. And so we're always doing like virtual camps or. Uh, actually a physical camp, which I've not been able to do for the last two years, but really helping these kids. I mean, they're, they're just parents try so hard and these kids are so far left behind that we have banded together and saying enough's enough. That's terrific. If anyone's listening in Atlanta, um, sounds like two really great organizations yeah. to, to be a sunshine on a rainy day and camp trake me way go to their website and please make a donation we've got more <laughs> more more needs than we do cash but i have no problem shaking down my friends i do it all the time <laughs> well we'll throw those links in here in mm-hmm. in the notes section as well at, at the end for people Thanks. to take a look at yeah you bet you bet um you know going back to finlistics for a second um, I think it's you know just fascinating the the company that you've built there and the value proposition and how you guys have just really evolved quite a bit over the years. Um, yeah. And my my understanding is that Finlistics was first focused on helping companies improve operations like supply chain management and yeah. and now focuses almost entirely on working with enterprise sales organizations, largely software companies. Yeah. Um, what other pivots have you made and, and what signals suggested it was the right one to make the right time to make it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the foundation was always something financial. And so, uh, I mean, going back to the nineties, you know, even a lot of sales organizations were saying, okay, our folks need to know finance. Right. And so what we would do is go in and say, okay, here's the income statement. Here's the balance sheet. Here's the, you know, the top model, whatever it was. And that was pretty much it. And then folks started saying, well, oh, okay, well, help us map uh, what we do to influence those financial metrics. It's like, oh, okay, we can help you that because, you know, even though I have a finance background, I know a lot about operation, my colleagues did too. So we started mapping what they did to financial metrics. And they're like, you know what, well, you, you, you mapped what we do against cost goods sold, but cost goods sold has got labor, it's got material, it's got overhead. So help our folks understand what those are and then map our solutions to those. So we started getting more, more and more granular. And then it was, Jim, this is a really good one. So you notice that I wasn't saying finance anymore. It's like, this is like business operations. Uh, and then they said, okay, but within, you know, materials, there's two or three lines of businesses, you know, procurement, you know, manufacturing, uh, warranty. Well, what are their initiatives? What are they working on to better manage materials that's going to impact cost goods? So, so we started breaking it down into, oh, well, here's their initiatives and, you know, here's their operational KPIs. And then another pivot was then saying, okay, you don't have the customer's KPIs at that time. But we started bringing in some industry averages. Okay, Jim, you know, you're in manufacturing. You've shared with us you're trying to improve profitability by becoming more you know, operationally efficient. 
we, we know in your industry, manufacturing costs are this much, you know, if that looked like you, 1% improvement, we call the power one would be worth this. So it's really been from this very high Mount Olympus, you know, financial stuff, which is very relevant now down to individual lines of businesses, where their initiatives, where their operational KPIs. Uh, we have a team of former executives that will then teach people, how do you speak to a CMO? How do you talk to an operations, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been, it's been a huge transition uh, over the last I guess I've really been focused on the sales side about 20 years. Consulting side was about 10 years. So been huge transformations. And, you know, that takes a lot of R&D. And, you know, you're just hoping that, I know you guys have taught me the same about product market fit. <laughs> you just hope your product market fit is good because for a company our size, spending, you know, a couple hundred thousand or now it's millions of dollars a year on making this transformation, responding to customers is not, is not insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. And as, and as part of that, a little lesson in simplification too, I think was one, was one of the um, call it pivots that, that you guys needed to make and, and, and really focusing on the true value of the solution. Right. Absolutely. Cause here's the, you gotta remember I'm an egghead, right. And it's not like we try to make things complex. It's just that we make things complex. And so, you know, I had this misconception after being told repeated times that this was not what I was going to do. I, okay, I'm going to give everyone this MBA in finance. Okay, you need to know this and this and this and this and this and this. this. And, uh, you know, one of the ladies that's in our, our sales, Michelle, when I would do workshops with her, I'd be at the front, she'd be at the back, and I'd start talking about this stuff. She'd start walking down the aisle saying, okay, uh, Mr. Financial Smarty Pants, stop it. <laughs> So no, that's especially working with you all has really, really helped to say, all right, you got all this great stuff, but what are the couple of things that people really want and how can you get to it quickly? They don't want to have to click on things six times to get to these brilliant insights. So yeah, you, you guys have helped immensely in terms of simplifying. Is it where it needs to be? No, but we're, we're getting there. It, it, it is getting there and it's, it's, um, it's really hard when you know so much and you've got so much to share with the world, right? Um, that to, to put things in someone else's perspective. I mean, I, I think so many companies struggle with that. Um, yeah. And so you're definitely not alone in that, in that boat, especially yeah. product companies started by, you know, in many cases, geniuses and, and subject matter experts, right? Um, we, we talked earlier about where the world is at from a financial literacy perspective, and it's certainly not at the Stephen Timmy level. <laughs> no, um, nor does it have to be. Nor does it have to be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, little improvement goes a long way. So, you know, as, as, as you guys, um, you know, went through your journey and, and, you know, went through a lot of obstacles along the way, a lot of success along the way, any particular, um, you know, risks and mitigation around those risks that you had to take that you can share with the audience? Yeah, there were, you know, the product development side is, is always a risk, but it wasn't like you were going to go out of business. And so uh, I think back in 2018, uh, when we started Finlistics, the sales side, I was partnering with a company called Mercury Financial Analytics. So I'd come up with the models. They would go ahead and, and you know do all the development. They're the ones that would bring in all the financial data from all these different resources. They really took care of our, our IT. I mean, they, 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 they did all that stuff. Great business analysts. I could talk to customers. They really made my life easy. And so back in 2018, they had this other company that got bought by this company. And they said, listen, we know you guys love Finlistics. You've been together for like 
15, 20 years, whatever it is, but you know, we just bought your heart and soul and you got to wrap it up with them by the end of two, you know, by the end of the year. Well, Jim, I, I'd never ran an IT organization. So here I am buying them for millions of dollars. Here I am hiring IT people that understood about every third word they said, you know, you know it's kind of like, what are you, what are you talking about? And so that was a, it, it was financially a, a big risk. And from a business perspective, it was a, it was even a bigger risk because I was not in a position, nor was anyone else in our company to understand what these folks were saying. So we had some real big issues about, Hey, we're going to launch this product in September, you know, September 30th, I'm getting a call. Yeah. You know, we're just not there. I just didn't understand this. That was a huge, huge risk. And, and, you know, I don't want to blatantly, you know, promote you guys, but I will. I mean, that's one of the things you all came in and just, I mean, within a matter of weeks said, okay, this is not working like it's supposed to, and you need to make some significant changes. So we're in really good, really good place now, but that was probably about the biggest risks I took both financially and these from an operational perspective. I didn't know what the heck I was doing and no one else did. I just assume, Hey, they're getting paid a lot. They'll do their jobs. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying they weren't doing their job. It's just like they had a different perception what their job was than what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it happens, it happens all the time. Product management is, it needs to be managed, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it needs exactly. to connect back to company strategy and business focus and, so that's that is that is absolutely um a great lesson for everyone listening to, yeah. to, to learn from. And any any other any other big things that have occurred over you know the history of Finlistics that that uh, really learning lessons? Yeah, I'm trying to think it it's a lot of it, you know, because we do a lot with sales organizations and they love us, you know, we got a very high retention rate and um you, you know, they're always asking us to do more, growing the business, all that kind of things. And a lesson learned is I, I became somewhat complacent. I'll just say it like within our space, we're the only one that has a soup to nuts solution. And when folks would say, well, who's your competitor? Says, well, you know, companies that want to build all this stuff internally, you know, have at it and and then a couple of years ago, we had this extremely well-funded competitor friggin' come out of nowhere. I mean, it, it was just like, holy crap. And they had great stuff, by the way. They do. I, I love their stuff. And so it was, it was really an aha moment. It was a major risk. Not that we would have gone out of business, but it's like, wow, these folks have raised, I mean, tens of millions of dollars. So we're, I knew we were outgunned from a, a spend perspective. Uh, we were outgunned because they had created things I had talked about, but not yet created. So that was a real wake up call. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I lost that much sleep at night, but I lost sleep at night and really helped us, our senior management team say, all right, we've got to work with these orchid black folks. And uh, there's this thing called product market fit that we got really nailed down. And uh, we, we just need to be even more relevant to our, so that, that was, that was some scary moments. But at the same time, really good emphasis that you guys were in the right space, right? That there's that there's other companies that are looking to achieve similar outcomes with their with their customers. Um, competitors is is always looked at in an odd way, right? It's always like them or us. But at the, at the same time, there's a lot of really good, um, really a lot of good of either co competition or in yeah. some you know, partnership, or in some cases, just general. Um, 
feedback that other companies are getting really well funded at great valuations in your space is is always something that um, can be looked at from a positive angle as well. Um, well you know, provided there's big enough space for both companies to fit, right? Well, that's something you taught me, Jim, is because I remember talking to you going, oh my God, this one got 20 million. This one just got 18 million. We're screwed. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, man. You know, this just, just proved that you're in a good space. We do have to sort some things out. That's right. In fact, uh, one, you know, uh, one of the quote competitors of ours, uh, which I, I'm not sure they really are because we're kind of more top of funnel, they're bottom of funnel. We now partner in a lot of things like, or right, I've done a couple of webinars with them. We've got some common customers, all those kind of things. So it really, it really helped me say, you know, us versus them, they're the evil empire, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, Apple versus Microsoft, you know, there's only going to be one winner. So uh, that was, that was a good learning experience. And I would, for folks out there, one, I would always have heads up on like who else is out there. Right. And you don't want to become so obsessed with competitors that you forget your customers, but you know, you, you got to check out and then which, which one of those can, can you partner with, or there's alternative channels and those type of things. So it's, it's been a good learning experience. Absolutely. And if it wasn't obvious from the, the funding comments, you know, you guys have, have bootstrapped your way through, um, you know, tremendous, tremendous growth, especially, yeah. you know, um, given the fact that you've been bootstrapped um, for other founders who are bootstrapping out there and, and, you know, driving in the grind, I think one thing they can really learn from you is that um, I see so many founders, so many CEOs getting burnt out from bootstrapping, from the grit and the sweat and the life as an entrepreneur. And, you know, that happens whether you're bootstrapping or not, but especially in the case where you've got limited capital to deploy. And, yeah. you know, I've seen you really living a pretty balanced life in a lot of ways. Um, and I, you know, I think that's something that a lot of founders can learn from that part of building a company is also building and growing the founder and making sure that the founder doesn't get burnt out. Cause if the founder's burnt out, chances are he's burning out his team too. He or she is burning out their team. Um, when, when you, when your tanks kind of near running on empty, if you will, are there any particular areas you turn for physical or, or mental renewal? I call you Jim and wine and you make me feel better, <laughs> which is That's true. What I'm here for. That's it. <laughs> Uh, no, a couple of things. I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't think I live as balanced a life as I would like to, cause I'm, I'm a workaholic, but, uh, you know, I, I do, I, we've got, my wife's very much into horses and we got all kind of horse friends I'm like, Hey, it's time to go out to the barn, see what's going on, you know, see the horses, see our, see our buddies, you know, our friends out there. And, and then I'm, I'm so fortunate to have a son, he's 24, uh, but he's just a, just a wonderful person. So I try to, and, and, my immediate family lives in Atlanta, the general area where I live. My mom's still alive. So I just try to like, okay, look, it, it's not the end of the freaking world, you know, uh, and just enjoy, you know, the blessings that you've been given uh, and just try to chill out, which it's, it's hard for me to do. I'll be real honest, but I can tell you, I sleep a lot better on the weekends than I do during the week. Cause I'm just like, I'm always doing something. But it's like, you know, just walk away. Don't don't even try not to think about it for, you know, four or five hours, something like that. So, yeah, I just occupy my mind with other other things and enjoy what I've got. Well, from for what it's worth, you know, knowing you for a little over a year now and seeing the way that you handle and balance a lot of things. Um, I think compared to most founders, you do a tremendous job at, at balance. Good. Um, glad to hear that. So. My wife will be very glad to hear that, too. <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, that's something I struggle with too. I, you know, not just people I see, I, I struggle with that on a, on a really regular basis. Um, 
Now, you know, when we um, when we look into the future, right, the Stephen Timmy future, the Finlistics future, yeah. the, the general future that you're driving towards, um, let's just say three to five years out, is there any particular mark that that your business uh, will have made, um, you know, in, in, in the world? Uh, yeah, I think about this a lot. I mean, I love the money. There's no don't, don't get me wrong. Right. But I still have this egghead in me. And I, I just, you know, my family upbringing that. So I I think about that is that, you know, it's we we help make sellers lives easier. Right. And, and, and a couple of things, one in terms of just the amount of time they spend on research, but being able to talk to different people and being able to make more quota, but then their lives in general. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I just people I met years ago, they randomly reach out to me on LinkedIn and you know, or so, so it's really just to make their lives easier by making them more relevant to these executive buyers. So have them feel good about themselves. And that would make me feel good and make the people at Finlistics feel good. Cause we're very, you know, us, um, we're a very people centric, uh, culture. And so we feel good. I know it sounds corny, but we feel good. We make other people feel good. And that can be both professionally and personally. Yeah. I, I've experienced it firsthand seeing the way that you guys interact and obviously challenging for everyone what's gone on in the world the last couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, um, I know you guys got rid of your office as one of many companies yeah. that did. Did, th- did that change or, you know, evolve the familial, you know, really great culture you guys had built? Uh, I'm going to say overall, no, we, we miss seeing each other. It's so like what well, once a quarter we'll have, you know, a fit finlistics thing where we could do a 5k or, a, you know, we'll get together at top when it was safe, you know, get together at top golf or do, do something fun, have a, have a party outside, have a picnic and that. But, um, you know, cause Jim, we were already working remotely on Mondays and Fridays. So we were only in the office, uh, Tuesday through Thursday, and we have very flexible policy. So the number of the ladies have kids, it's like, okay, Got to go pick the kid up from school at three o'clock. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, we we miss seeing each other, but we're we're still we feel like we communicate, you know, pretty effectively. And I I personally make it a habit to like reach out to folks. Hey, you know, how's it going today? Or working on a project? Hey, join me on this call or whatever it is, because uh, it's you know when you get on your own little world, it's really easy to forget about. Oh crap, you know. <laughs> so Vanita's working on this really big project. So. Yeah, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of staying in touch. Is it as good as the office? No, it's not. I'm not say I'm not going to say it is. But the when I've asked folks, do you guys want to go back? So after you know COVID is done, whenever it's going to be done, the general response is like, no, I really enjoy working from home, or I don't want to drive an hour to the office and an hour back. So yeah. that's that's going to be a, unless something changes, that's going to be a permanent model. Yeah, that Atlanta traffic can be a, a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but we are beginning to you know, people do need to get together using like a WeWork or something like that. So they can still get together, but we're not going to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars a month on an office that we don't need. Yeah. WeWork or in all, all those spaces make it so easy to, you know, find some common yeah. ground to, to meet in person without having an office. So that's, that's terrific. Yeah. So, um, you know, at this time in the show, we, we do what's called a founder five. Um, okay. And it's really a series of five rapid fire questions in yeah. under a minute that um, ultimately all tie back to growth and, and who you are, Stephen. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, let me know when you're ready. You ready? I'm ready. I read the question. So I think I'm, I think I'm ready. 
All right. Awesome. So number one, the top one to three metrics or measures that you're relentlessly focused on. Yeah. Re- revenue growth, definitely pipeline, conversion rate and, and retention. So for, it's all top line being a finance person. I bet you thought I was going to talk about the profit. I did. Yeah. Um, which I do look at, but you can get that top line, right. Um, you're, you're going to squeeze out a pretty acceptable margin. Yeah, Stephen is in major growth mode right now, so that that, yeah. that makes that makes tons of sense. All right, so number two, um, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself: uh, stay focused. Right, don't don't get off on these tangents, which I used to do. But okay, here here's the market, and the other part of that is, man, you better have that product market fit down because if you don't have that, you can throw as many you can spend as much as you want on it. But it's not going to work. So, product market fit stay focused. Nice. Nice. Favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow? Yeah. I was thinking about that. I've read so many uh, about that. One of my favorite books ever was by Andy Grove called Only the Paranoid Survive. Hmm. And it's, gosh, I don't know, Jim was like from the nineties now or something, but I loved Andy Grove. And and the one that I I think you all shared with us is this uh, Scaling Up uh, by Vern uh, Harnish. So that one's a, it's a how-to book. I mean, it just like tells you what to do. So <laughs> the, the Andy Grove is inspirational because I have so much respect for him. And, and the other one scaling up is, is you know, kind of step-by-step, step, just lays it out. It's not a bunch of theory, which I don't like. Yeah, very much how-to. Uh, what actor would you play in a movie? <laughs> well, I would be Paul Newman because people tell me a lot. I look like Paul Newman. Now I don't see it. My wife does. People in restaurants. So I would be, I would be uh, Paul Paul Newman or who I would uh, really like to be is Steve McQueen in the movie Le Mans. That was in the in the eighties where he's driving at Le Mans for a Porsche nine seventeen. I would take that any day of the week. <laughs> There's that horsepower coming back. That's right. <laughs> All right, last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography? You know, I thought about that. Um, he taught people how to have fun with finance. That's what I came up with. Yeah. Because you can have fun with it and it can help you have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. So um you've given you've given so much to our listeners today, Stephen. And you know, just want to give you a little bit of time for some self-promotion or Okay. Ultimately, how others can help you. Um, so how, how can those listening help you and the Finlistics team grow? Yeah. Um, so a couple buy stuff from us for one. That'd be really great. <laughs> but no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> was that was that too blatant? No, anyway. that's great. Self-promotion is self-promotion. <laughs> no, but we we you know, we're always looking for partners. Right. We don't have all the answers. So we've got like this cool financial model. We've got this you know practice that helps people map their solutions you know, we help people talk to executives, you know, all those type of things. So, but we're always looking for partners to say, Hey, listen, here's, here's, you know, this fits into this overall, you know, revenue intelligence or customer intelligence. And, oh, by the way, it looks like you guys are missing this piece. Maybe, maybe we can get together and, and, you know, be, you know, two plus two equals five or something like that. So we're, we're always looking into those opportunities about where we can help someone be stronger. Someone can help us be stronger uh, and the other thing too, you know, just from a sales side, you know, if, if folks out there know either you or you know of, you know, an enterprise sales organization that is mainly focused on the technology aspects of things and how they can help their customers, you know, we're always we're always looking for those uh, those those leads. Um, so that would also help. So you know, partnerships, trying to do things together, 
as well as, you know, if you know some folks out there that, you know, companies that could perhaps uh, benefit from what we do around uh, customer intelligence, uh, around the finance, the, you know, map, you know, showing the real value and then the, the, uh, the coaching, please let me know. All right. And I've seen it firsthand. Enterprise sales organizations changed big time with the Finlistic solution and the, and the team behind it. So on that note, Stephen, just closing us off, how can listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, well, you can always reach out at info at finlistics.com. And we'll, I'm assuming, Jim, we're going to put some of this information out there or yeah, we'll reach out in the notes. Definitely. Yeah, uh, you can reach out to me directly at my email, which is stimmy at finlistics.com. And, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I find that, Jim, a great way for people to communicate. It's not like we're trying to sell someone. I, I cannot stand that. We're except, hey, here's how we can help you. But uh, a lot, you know, I, I do a lot of publishing on LinkedIn. Our website, finlistics.com, we have a resource section that uh, takes a lot of what I've been talking about and puts in some real practical terms of case study. So those are the major ways. Like reach out to me on LinkedIn, you know, Stephen Timmy, uh, info at finlistics, my email, uh, and or go to finlistics.com and check out our resource section. There's a lot. Of, it's free. It's free. And it's very powerful. <laughs> Free is, okay. free is good. Free is good. And free we will good. include all of that in the notes section for, for those okay. who are listening as well. And all right. Well, Stephen, thank you okay. for joining us on the dirt and uh, for giving us your dirt. Really appreciate yeah. it. And uh, have a good rest of your day, man. Yeah. So everyone out there, be- best of luck. Stay focused. Lead a balanced life. See ya. Nice. Bye, Jim. Thank you. You heard it here. Stephen Timmy. <laughs> Take care. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.